Good morning, Deep Run family. This morning we will be reading from um, Daniel in the English Standard Version. Feel free to turn with me. And the king shall do as he wills. He shall exalt himself and magnify himself above every god and shall speak astonishing things against the god of gods. He shall prosper till the indignation is accomplished. For what is decreed shall be done. He shall pay no attention to the gods of his fathers or to the one beloved by women. He shall not pay attention to any other god, for he shall magnify himself above all. He shall honor the god of fortresses instead of these. A god whom his fathers did not know, he shall honor with gold and silver, with precious stones and costly gifts. He shall deal with the strongest fortresses with the help of a foreign god. Those who acknowledge him, he shall load with honor. He shall make them rulers over many and shall divide the land for a price. At the time of the end, the king of the south shall attack him, but the king of the north shall rush upon him like a whirlwind with chariots and horsemen and with many ships. And he shall come into countries and shall overflow and pass through. He shall come into the glorious land and tens of thousands shall fall, but these shall be delivered out of his hand, Edom and Moab and the main part of the Ammonites. He shall stretch out his hand against the countries and the land of Egypt shall not escape. He shall become ruler of the treasures of gold and silver and all the precious things of Egypt. And the Libyans and the Cushites shall follow in his train. But news from the east and the north shall alarm him. And he shall go out with great fury to destroy and devote many to destruction. And he shall pitch his palatial tents between the sea and the glorious holy mountain. Yet he shall come to his end with none to help him. At the time shall arise Michael, the great prince who has charge of your people, and there shall be a time of trouble, such as never has been since there was a nation till that time. But at that time your people shall be delivered, everyone whose name shall be found written in the book, and many of those who sleep in the dust of the earth shall awake, some to everlasting life and some to shame and everlasting contempt. And those who are wise shall shine like the brightness of the sky above, and those who turn many to righteousness like the stars forever and ever. But you, Daniel, shut up the words and seal the book until the time of the end. Many shall run to and fro, and knowledge shall increase. This is the word of the Lord. We have been spending the last few months taking a look at this amazing ancient writing, the book of Daniel in the Old Testament. And, you know, Daniel and his friends were teenage refugees, and uh, they were taken away from all that they knew uh, and, and forced to assimilate to a foreign culture in that culture. First, the kingdom of Babylon, followed by the Persian Empire. And, and Daniel lived the rest of his life, 70 plus years, as a refugee, but as a very successful uh, government employee whose, whose integrity and excellence and faithfulness were so profound that even thousands of years later, we're still benefiting from his life 
and his work. And we have seen through Daniel chapters 1 through 10 how Daniel and his friends were examples of how people of faith in the God of the Bible can flourish even in adversity, how they can flourish even in challenging settings where the the society around them, the community around them, uh, the worldview around them is not sympathetic to their faith, to their way of life following uh, this God who makes claims on our lives because he's given himself to us, and now we give ourselves to him because of his grace. Daniel and his friends flourished in an environment that was very unsympathetic to what they believed and to the God they served. And that's why we're doing this, uh, this winter and spring. Now, we've read in the earlier chapters uh, how Daniel's dreams, his amazing dreams and visions, predicted with marvelous accuracy events to take place later in the future. We've seen how Daniel chapters 1 through 10 revealed the rise and the fall of the Persian Empire and then the Greek Empire, which would come centuries after Daniel. And then even, we even get hints in the 6th century BC book, we even get hints at the coming Roman Empire centuries later. This book written in the 6th century BC. Amazing, accurate detail about what we now look back as history. And chapter 11 and 12, this covers the final vision, the climactic vision that God gives to Daniel. And and I struggled with what portion of Scripture to assign today because there's just too much to cover in a morning. So we kind of came in at chapter 11, verse 36, in the middle of this last vision that Daniel receives. Uh, So there's a lot that the reading left out. You can go and, and take a look at it yourself this week. Chapter 11, verses 1 through 35. And, and in that part that we didn't read today, the angel details a long struggle, centuries long, uh, in the divided Greek empire. You might remember, we looked at this earlier, how when Alexander the Great died, the immense portion of the known world at the time that Alexander covered it was divided up between four of his most powerful generals. And those generals took over four uh, sub-kingdoms of of the Greek empire. The ones that are most important for our conversation today, the ones that were most important for the the ancient history of the Jews were the Ptolemies, which which was, they were basically Egypt and North Africa and, and, and what we now call Palestine, and the Seleucids, which is basically Syria and modern-day Turkey and like an enormous amount of, of, of territory all the way over to the Indus Valley and, and, and the, the border of modern-day India. Immense, immense amount, uh, an immense region. So the Ptolemies to the south and the Seleucids to the north, the north they engaged in their own conflicts. Guess why? They were fighting over control of the area right in the middle, and guess who lived there? the Jews. The Jews would return from the exile and find themselves squeezed between two great empires who vied for their land against each other. And so the Jews for the third century and the second century, and right up until the Roman Empire took over in the first century BC, the Jews found themselves in the middle of these, these vying world powers, and they became themselves victims of collateral damage, and at times, 
victims of direct, severe persecution. So, why does the book of Daniel spill so much ink on dealing with that particular era, the divided, warring Greek empire in the, the, the third and the second century BC? This is after Daniel's time. And, and why so much uh, ink spilled over focusing on a figure who we know through now in history would be, would be Antiochus IV, Antiochus Epiphanes of the Seleucid dynasty and the way he directly and fiercely persecuted the Jews and anybody who disagreed with his big agenda to unite his empire. Why so much ink spilled over this tyrant um, and that time in history? Well, uh, scholars believe that Antiochus Epiphanes, and and Daniel is, is prophesying about him not by name, but it's just a figure, it's an idea of the future, Antiochus Epiphanes became, in history, a prototype, a type of the type of suffering that the Jews would face for centuries, uh, the type of tyrant that would oppose the people of God for centuries. And in some ways, still to this day, thousands of years later, Antiochus Epiphanes is like a prototype of what people who want to follow the God of the Bible suffer when their priorities based on God's priorities come into conflict with the agendas of the world and its leaders. And the New Testament picked up on this theme, this this Antiochus-like prototype, and the New Testament calls it, in the words of the Apostle John, Antichrist. And in the words of the Apostle Paul, the man of lawlessness. And what's so intriguing, and and really, if you're a Christian, what is essential is how Daniel and his friends flourished with integrity, respectfully, and faithfully in an environment that became hostile to their way of living and to their belief system. They lived with integrity, they served respectfully, and they were faithful to their God. Now, if, if you're here, if you're listening and you're not a Christian, you, you may be thinking based on experience or, or, or some thought that, that, hmm, integrity, respectfulness, and faithfulness doesn't sound like a lot of religious people or religious ideas. And you know, I think in some instances you're right. That's probably true. But if you're not a Christian, and especially if you are, This is really important. This chapter, as we get closer and closer to the end of the book of Daniel, and we'll finish it next week, this is vital for us to understand how Daniel, in the midst of persecution uh, and, 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 and fierce opposition, knowing that it would continue for centuries, how Daniel was faithful, always respectful of those around him, and he lived and served and worked with integrity. In a broken world whose days are numbered anyway, if you believe in the God of the Bible, you must endure rather than win. That has to be the mentality. The New Testament called Christians exiles. Guess what? Daniel was an exile. And if you belong to Jesus, you're an exile in this world that is not truly your home. And the key is endurance, not winning. And I'm going to explain what I mean by that. But I'm going to divide it up into three basic ideas, and these are the three ideas. First, the reason why we endure, and then the, re, the, the way we endure, how we endure, okay? And then finally, 
for what we're enduring. What are we enduring for? What's the goal of it? So why we're enduring, how we endure, and then the goal of your endurance. Now, the reason why we endure is because the world's chaos and pain will continue, will continue and continue until the very end. And that's what Daniel discovers yet again in this vision. For, century, for centuries following Daniel's own lifetime, one power would succeed the next. One megalomaniac would succeed the next. And in Daniel chapter 11, we see this remarkable prediction detail after detail of the third of events that would eventually take place in the third and second centuries BC. Now we look back on history and we see history has validated these amazing prophecies that came to Daniel in the sixth century BC. Now uh, the first 35 verses of chapter 11 are all about are all about Antiochus Epiphanes. But something happens in verse 36. I'll read it. And the king, so so think of Antiochus as the predicted king of the north, okay? King of the north against the king of the south. But it says in 36, and the king shall do as he wills. He shall exalt himself and magnify himself above every god and shall speak astonishing things against the god of gods. We know that was true from Antiochus Epiphanes' own record and the things he did to sacrilege the Jewish religion. However, things from verse 36 on begin to get more complicated and more ambiguous from this point forward because the king of the north, uh, the events surrounding this king of the north eventually become less and less similar to what we know in history Antiochus IV actually did. So you get to a point in Daniel chapter 11 where you go, are we talking about this, this king of the north, which we now know as Antiochus, or are we talking about some future, some other future megalomaniac, because the rest of the vision doesn't, doesn't sync with what we know from history happened near the end of Antiochus' reign in life. So what's the answer? Is it one megalomaniac or a future yet-to-be megalomaniac? Well, the answer is yes. <laughs> the, the answer is both. True to apocalyptic literature, which is what this is, apocalyptic literature, true to that ancient form, ambiguity matters. And we've talked about this. The reason when you look at these complicated ancient uh, prophecies, why ambiguity matters is because the writer in, in the original style wants you to see the entire forest and get the big picture rather than just focus on every individual tree and get lost in the details. Now, how is it both? How can it be about one leader who came soon after Daniel's era and another leader yet to come? How can it be about both? Well, this gets at the nature of prophecy in the Bible. Prophecy in the Bible has a sort of a telescope approach to human history. And I can't remember where I read this and who said it. Multiple people have said this, and so I can't attribute anybody. Just, it didn't come from me, okay? I came up with the graphic, but this idea isn't mine, but I think it's very helpful. Biblical prophecy is kind of like a telescope. Think about looking into the eye of a telescope. The telescope presents both distant objects and near objects, but the distant ones look as though they are near. The distant objects look as big as the objects very close to you. The telescope decreases the distance 
that is otherwise truly great on a map. And that's how biblical prophecy works. It foretells both near and far events simultaneously. So you look at a prophecy and it has an immediate significance to the original hearer and it has a distant significance at the same time. Jesus did this a couple of times. In Matthew chapter 24, in Mark chapter 13, if you're familiar with these teachings, you'll remember in the same discourse, he would talk about the coming destruction of the temple in Jerusalem, which we know from history was only 40 years after Jesus, 70 AD, and he would talk about the end of all time. He would talk about them almost almost in the same, in the same paragraph so that you're confused. What is he talking about? Well, it's the telescoping effect of biblical prophecy. There's a now and future aspect to its fulfillment. So, this is why Daniel spills all of this ink talking about these issues because endurance was going to be needed because the chaos and the pain was going to continue, not only in his day and not only for his descendants over the next couple of hundred years, but for the rest of human history. That's why endurance is so important because the chaos and pain and trouble are going to continue. We're talking about, about the poor today, and what did Jesus say to his disciples? The poor will always be among you. No matter how much progress we make, the world is still broken. We know this. We're living it. That's why endurance is needed. Look at the beginning of Daniel chapter 12, verse 1. He goes, he goes on to say, at that time shall arise Michael. We talked about Michael last week the great prince who has charge of your people, and there shall be a time of trouble such as never has been seen since there was a nation until that time. So now we're talking about the distant future, well past Daniel, well past the Greek and the Roman empires. And this, this, this concept is true of all history, right? There are going to be rulers and governments who become beast-like, Daniel's talked about this. There are going to be rulers and governments throughout human history who will become beast-like in order to not only seize their power, but keep their power and promote their agenda at the expense of the people. And we've seen this century after century, right? We've seen it in dictatorships, even to this day. We've seen it in dictatorships and totalitarian societies where what? The state is supreme or the dictator is supreme. Now, before you think we're off the hook as Americans, we even see this in democracies and free market systems where the corporation is ultimate, where the tycoon, the mogul, the self-made billionaire is supreme in order to accomplish their agenda, does it at the expense of the people. This will happen again and again until the end. So Daniel receives this message and is told, you've got to endure. But the good news is, if you go back to chapter 11, oh, I never showed you the visual, did I? I did. Okay, I just must have, I must have reversed instead of gone forward. Sorry about that. Um, okay, but the good news is, uh, verse 45, it says, yet he shall come to his end with no one to help him. And that's the good news. The final vision is that God wins in the end. Is that the kind of oppression and subjugation that we see again and again, it will eventually stop for good. 
That's the hope of the biblical story. So this final vision that Daniel receives, the greatest and maybe the most confusing, was both disturbing and encouraging to him. And I would say the same for us. It offers the same tension for us today as we live for Jesus as exiles in America. History will continue with troubles and wars and famines and plagues and persecutions until the very end. But in the end, God's adversaries and his chief adversary, as we discussed last week, will lose. That is a good thing. So what do you do with this disturbing and encouraging knowledge of the future? We do what Daniel did. We do what believers since Daniel's day have done for 2,500 years. We endure. We endure now. The way we endure, this is important, the way we endure is by staying on mission. And Elder Ed spoke about this a few weeks ago. We endure by staying on mission. Our God has given us a mission on which we can focus. Now, you would agree, time goes by more quickly and more productively when we have something to do, right? When, 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 when you're sitting in the MVA, it goes by more quickly when you've, you've brought a book or you're playing with a video game on your smart device or something like that. Time goes by more productively when you're reflective, when you're thinking, when you're focused. We endure better when we're focused and productive. And so interestingly, more of the prophecy, chapter 12, verse 3, it says, and those who are wise, right? Now we're talking about like when things get really, really bad. And it says, and those who are wise shall shine like the brightness of the sky above. And those who turn many to righteousness like the stars forever and ever. You remember what Jesus said about his followers in the Sermon on the Mount? He said, you are the light of the world. And he said, a city on a hill cannot be hidden. It's impossible. It's exposed to the topography of the land. And he says, and you don't light a candle and stick it under a basket. You put it in the best place in the house where it can give the most light and diffuse the darkness. And he said to his followers, you are the light of the world. God's people endure by, if you take Jesus's phrase, the light of the world, and you put it together with the vision Daniel received, right? Those who are wise shall shine. Uh, those who turn many to right righteousness shall shine like the stars. When you put that together, what do you see? You see that God's people endure by pursuing wisdom and turning many to it. The New Testament calls that wisdom the gospel, the good news that God became human and died to save sinners to reconcile them back to himself and rose from the dead to promise that in the end, evil loses and he wins. That's the hope of this good news we call the gospel and it is the wisdom of God. Daniel didn't see it clearly. It became more clear after Jesus. 
It was the Apostle Paul himself in his second letter to the Corinthians who said, Yet among the mature we do impart wisdom. Although, Paul said, although none of the rulers of this age understood it, for if they had, they would not have crucified Jesus. And in this, we see an axiom, a basic simple truth that throughout history, in all times, in all places, wherever persecution takes place, it is because the mission of God is in conflict with the culture's agenda. It was true for Daniel. It's still true for people following Jesus around the world today. But in that tension, God's people shine their brightest. So we keep, uh, uh, this keeps Christians focused. What keeps them focused is enduring by being faithful to this mission. Jesus, we, we call it the Great Commission. Jesus talked about it in Matthew 28. Now, I've made disciples of you. Now, you go make disciples of all nations. Okay, so, so there are many things to do in order to love God and to love our neighbors. And they all flow out of this Great Commission to bring our lives under the lordship and blessing of Jesus Christ and to disciple others to see his truth and his grace, his hope bringing all our endeavors and all of our relationships under his authority and his saving wisdom. So the Christian, like Daniel, puts more and endures by putting more emphasis into being faithful rather than being successful. Put more emphasis into enduring instead of winning. And here's what I mean by winning. I don't mean pursuing excellence. I don't mean doing your best. Uh, This doesn't mean mediocrity and giving up and not caring. What I mean by endure instead of win, winning I mean having it your own way. We have to think of enduring instead of think of how can we make things so that we can have it our own way and pursue our preferences in life and in the community. I really think what Christians need to do is move beyond the common fight-or-flight responses of how people deal with a society that disagrees with them. You've heard of fight-or-flight idea, right? When you're in a crisis, sometimes you fight or sometimes you flee. And, and, and frankly, if, if you're going to live with the kind of integrity and faithfulness and excellence by which Daniel lived, we got to get away from that fight or flight mentality in our relationships with our society and our community. Fight responses are the things you might be tempted to do to win against the culture by forcing your values on it. Think of that as a domination mentality. Or flight responses would look something like this, the things you do are that you're trying to hide from the culture by living separate from the community. Think of that as escapism. Domination and escapism are never the right approach. Neither approach accomplishes the Bible's mandate to be the light of the world. You can't be light to people that you're trying to dominate and coerce. And you can't be light to people that you've withdrawn from and escaped. So the question I want to ask you, if you're following this God of the Bible, is are you too worried about winning now? Are you too much worried about your side 
in a contentious cultural time as, as in which we live? Are you worried about your side winning, your political party winning, your agenda, your ideology, your culture or people group? Are you worried about winning? Daniel's and his friends lost all of that. You realize that? They lost, they lost their, their city, their culture, their friends, their families, their politics, their language. They lost everything. They had none of that. And yet, they did not lose their God. And because of that, they did not lose their faith. And because of that, they did not lose themselves. They were lights. But I think all too often, American Christians would rather win their petty battles and our personal conflicts and our culture wars of this age. That's what I mean by winning. Look, we endure because the chaos is going to keep happening. The pain and the trouble, it's, it's always going to be around us. We endure it, and we don't endure it. We don't endure it without a purpose. We don't get distracted. We don't give up. We stay focused on the mission. We endure by being focused on the mission to bring this gospel of Jesus to everyone in our lives. And most importantly, we're enduring for a goal. There, there is a final point to all of the endurance. We get to the end of it and we realize there's something worth enduring for. It's the fact that God wins. And this is a good God. This isn't a tyrant like Antiochus Epiphanes or fill in the blank. This is a God who is full of love, where it says his love endures forever, as we said in, in, in Psalm 136. His love endures, outlasts all the destruction and chaos and pain and suffering. His love endures forever and ever. This is the God who wins, not a tyrant, but a God of justice and of mercy. And so we see again, in verses 1 and 2, but at that time your people, Daniel, shall be delivered. And not just the Jews. Look at what it says. Everyone whose name shall be found in the book. This is God's book. This is everybody that God will save in the end. And many of those who sleep in the dust of the earth shall awake, some to everlasting life and some to everlasting shame and contempt. This is the clearest Old Testament revelation of a physical bodily resurrection and the immortality of our souls. It's hinted at all throughout the Old Testament, but here we get the clearest picture that ultimately comes out in an empty tomb that Jesus walked out of in the writings of the New Testament apostles. But here we see it in its full clarity in the Old Testament. But notice, notice God's final victory will be great for some, and terrible for others. I mean, look, look at these words. Uh, uh, your people shall be delivered, right? Uh, those who sleep in the dust will awake, some to everlasting life and some to everlasting shame and, and contempt. I mean, what do we see here? Remember, this is, a, this is a prophecy that has been proven again and again to have been accurate as history has gone on. And here it says, whoa, there's objective truth. There is such thing as right and wrong, as good and evil. And as a matter of fact, evil will be judged and good will win. It's right there. Now we have to ask ourselves, each of us, what side of that ultimate victory will we be on? 
Because everything else in, in the history books has revealed everything Daniel prophesied came true. I'm assuming this one's going to come true also. So what side of that final victory will each of us be on? Jesus said, Mark chapter 8, If anyone would come after me, let him deny himself and take up his cross and follow me. Man, if that doesn't sound like endurance, I don't know what does. He went on to say, for whoever would save his life will lose it. Think of save his life as winning, having a winning mentality. For whoever would lose his life, whoever would save his life will lose it. But whoever loses his life, what? For my sake and the gospel will save it. For what does it profit a man to gain the whole world and yet forfeit his soul? So we see here, we must endure pain for the sake of his mission and for the goal of his ultimate victory. Now, the amazing thing about Christianity is that we see that Jesus did all of this himself. Jesus endured 30 years of pain as a human being. He endured the shame and the horrifying terror of a Roman cross. This is the Son of God, enduring pain, enduring it all himself. Why? For the sake of his Father's mission. He stayed on mission his whole life, even when it brought him to a Roman cross. The mission was what? He would always say, to do my Father's will, which was what? To reconcile us back to our Creator. Jesus endured the pain and the chaos and the suffering. Because he stayed true to his father's mission. He endured with focus. Why? For the ultimate goal of his final victory, which was having you again. Having you back forever. In Christianity, Christ did everything we can't. You cannot endure perfectly and you don't stay on task always. And sometimes you don't know why you're getting up in the day and you're not sure what the goal is and you don't know what the future holds. And what we can't do perfectly, Jesus did. The cross and the empty tomb are the proof. And when he comes back, that'll seal the deal, that everything Daniel prophesied will come true. In a broken world whose days are numbered anyway, to draw close to Jesus is to endure rather than win. You don't need to win because he's going to win someday. We endure as his faithful witnesses. We endure as the humble, generous servants of our neighbors as we lift one another up. It's springtime again, and uh, Becky is gardening again. Her indoor gardening has gone back outside with the warm weather, and, and I think that is a good illustration for me to close with. You know, as I think about uh, gardening and cultivating. Flourishing requires endurance. It requires endurance in difficult environments. It requires patient cultivation in the midst of the elements that you cannot control. Daniel's faith and his work and his legacy illustrate that in a difficult life, even in a hostile setting, flourishing is not winning. Flourishing is enduring. And Jesus even said, but the one who endures to the end 
will be saved. Just remember, it is by Him, not by us, that we endure and are saved. And that is good news for exiles. Let's pray. Father, we were excited to get to the end of this amazing ancient book next week, uh, but we just sit for a moment uh, to confess to you that we want things now, we want what we want now, we want to win, or we want to run. And we see that Jesus didn't do either. He submitted himself to your care, and he submitted himself even to his enemies to reconcile humanity back to you. Uh, May Jesus, not Daniel, but may Jesus ultimately be our model and our prototype, one who loved you and died for his enemies and is coming back to make all things new. May we find our purpose for enduring. May we find our hope for enduring in his timeless words and his boundless grace. In his name.